Hold up. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is Jonathan Michael, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson. How you doing, Marv? Hey, what's up, JR? How you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Uh, as you might have noticed, Jonathan Michael, it stems from my new YouTube channel, Jonathan Michael Sports. It helps promote this podcast, the Sports Wrap-Up. So Marv and Jonathan Michael, the marvelous Joey Thompson, and we're taking off from here. We're keeping it going as always. We're keeping the great news coming for you, keeping the hot takes out. Everything stays the same. The name changes a little bit. Before we get started, I want to mention to follow us on Twitter at JR Sports Wrap Up and at Marv underscore Wrap Up. We also want to mention to you that this podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go ahead and visit audibletrial.com forward slash wrap up. And there you'll find a very special offer for our listeners, a free month membership to audible.com, which will get you uh, three audible books, one credit for a audible book from any author and two audible originals. It's a very special offer for our listeners. So go ahead and visit audibletrial.com forward slash wrap up. And without any further ado, let us get into the news this week. I want to start with this. Saturday night was the perfect ending to the imperfect dynasty. You had Tom Brady throw the pick six. It was ugly, just that it had been ugly all season. And uh, it kind of, as I said, was the perfect ending to the imperfect dynasty. When you think about the Patriots, you think about the imperfect sixth round draft pick, the coach and Bill Pelichick who was fired by the dysfunctional Cleveland Browns, two misfits, two nobodies that came out of nowhere to create a incredibly imperfect dynasty where you had dysfunction and disarray in the end. And it ended the same on the field. And just as it began, as they say, ashes to ashes and dust to dust, we return. Now, many of you are going to take that ashes to ashes, dust to dust, as the holistic outlook. I hear a lot of Brady is done. Brady is washed up. Please stop it. I don't know if you don't watch the games, these people who are saying this. You just read the box score at halftime after you're done eating dinner. I'm not sure. On Sunday Night Football, I'm not sure. I really don't know where it comes from. When I say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, the New England Patriots dynasty as we know it has crumbled. It's over. But Tom Brady has a lot more left in the tank, at least for a season or two. And to me, that's a lot for somebody who's 42 years old going on 43 next season. Obviously, the Patriots are not the same. Tom is not the same. 42, and it shows in, in the way that he cannot carry the entire team. He is throwing to Julian Edelman, who had a key drop, and he is throwing to uh, a bunch of tackling dummies otherwise. Nobody can get open. There is no help. And spare me with the offensive line statistics. Football Outsiders has him third and fifth. A lot of their numbers, you can make statistics lie quite a bit. And a lot of their elevated numbers on the passing side is because Tom Brady is able to throw the ball away either inaccurately or under duress. And a lot of these numbers are derived from sacks and, uh, and, and actual results. 
and, and those pressures. Tom Brady gets the ball out so quick in terms of throwing away. He knows how to read the defense, even if he doesn't have the same abilities that he had with his arm in the past. So he is certainly elevating the line play from what I'm seeing in the games and on the tape. And uh, it had also been floated that at the end of the dynasty, maybe Belichick would leave, but that's not happening. So you have a, uh, everyone's been hired except for Cleveland. Don't think he's going back to Cleveland. I see dissent in the force here. I don't, I don't see it getting a lot better for the Patriots going forward. I do see a divorce coming on for the Patriots. Tom Brady really desires to play a lot longer. And I know he desires to play until 45, which is a very long time. When I say a lot, it's, it's a lot longer for somebody of that age. And you'd be crazy, most of you, with your quarterbacks. I like a lot of quarterbacks in the league, but there's a lot of teams that need help. Tom Brady, his stats with that team, 61% completion percentage, 24 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. A lot of the time, stats lie. You have to be careful. But those, to me, are significant because of who he's playing with and that he has a positive or positive numbers, multiple positive numbers, 61%. That's very nice. Anything between 60 and 70, I feel very comfortable with. 24 touchdowns, eight interceptions. He's ranked 16th. He's the definition of average statistically. If you could have an average quarterback on some of these teams out there, you could have a Super Bowl because of the defenses. At least you can make the argument, the defenses, the coaching, they have everything in place. Although, as many of you know that listen often, I don't believe average quarterbacks win Super Bowls because they don't. His play can be elevated if he ends up somewhere that can help elevate his play. He carried a team for over a decade. Now he needs a little help and he can certainly be more than a contributor. So I've put together a list of teams where I think he might end up next. And I'm going to give you the reasons why. I think there are five potential teams for Tom Brady and here they are. The Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers have a new stadium they played in tons of one-score games this year. I believe there were one and seven in one-score games. They won five games. They flip some of those around, get to 10 wins. They're in the playoffs. They're in Los Angeles. His family, his wife would be very happy there. His wife, Giselle Bunchen, a model. That would work out well for them. She's made a lot of sacrifices for their family living in Boston. This would work very nicely for his family and for football. So I think the Chargers are the premier destination. With all the elements taken into consideration, it's the Chargers. But for football, I believe the Colts, the number two team, are a premier destination better than the Chargers. You have less dysfunction. The Chargers, let's face it, have always been perpetual losers. The Colts have Super Bowls. The Colts have Frank Reich, a very respected offensive mind, very easy transition for Brady. And you have a very smart general manager in Chris Ballard and an excellent offensive line to keep Brady upright, which the Chargers do not have. They have a, a decent offensive line, but the Colts are ranked in the top in every statistical category for the offensive line. So I really like the Colts to be team number two. Team number three is more of a long shot as well as team number four and number five, but number three is the Chicago Bears. This seems to be a perfect fit for me, a major metro city for his family, a good place to at least spend some time if they need to. Chicago, good schools, good culture, something that Giselle and his kids can be around and feel comfortable. They're used to the cold. So it's not LA, it's not ideal, but it's it's better than Boston, at least to me. Chicago for their family makeup is better than Boston. So the family can be happy. You have a premier defense 
and you have some weapons and a decent offensive line. So that's a good fit. I'm not sure the Bears can get out of their own way. They committed to Mitchell Trubisky. So I'm a little bit uh, eerie, weary, whatever you want to say about it. I don't, I don't think that one's going to happen. But I, if if Tom Brady came knocking on their door, they might figure it out. But I don't think the Chicago Bears are going to figure it out on their own. The Cleveland Browns are team number four. Hear me out. This one's a little crazy, but it's really strictly on the idea that Josh McDaniels might be their next coach. It would be an easy transition if he has any bit of a savior complex and wanting to prove and his ego's high, turning around the Browns. They have a lot of talent. They don't have the offensive line, but they do have the receivers and the weapons that would really make an easy transition to help him elevate those players. And Baker might just have to wait his turn and he might learn a thing or two about how to conduct himself as a franchise quarterback. And team number five is the New England Patriots. I think they're the very last on the list of teams where he might end up. I don't think it's going to be the Patriots. I think this is done, signed, sealed, and delivered. It's over. Marv, I want to bring you in here. What is your take on the situation in New England? Uh, What is the percentage that Brady stays and that he goes? Because I think he's gone. I think there's a very low percentage. I'm thinking about 30% chance that Tom Brady stays with the New England Patriots. And reason being is the Patriots are looking forward to the future. They do not want to pay Tom Brady the money that he deserves. And Tom Brady is still a really good quarterback. And so he feels that he's been underappreciated. And the Patriots aren't appreciating him to the point that where he's just going to end up getting pushed out the door. And to uh, go back on the teams that you have, I agree with a few of those picks, but I got to give you a little pushback. The two teams that I think make the most sense for Tom Brady would be the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, hear me out. The Raiders, I think, would be perfect for Tom Brady because the Raiders are moving into a new town. They have Hollywood, uh, basically, head coach uh, John Gruden, a GM in... um, What's this guy's name? Uh, Mike Mayock. And, I mean, they're moving into a new city. They're trying to sell tickets. What better way than to get Tom Brady to sign with the Las Vegas Raiders to draw all the major fans into that city? That's just a cash cow right there. And, And Tom Brady can make a lot of money by going there, if you think about it that way. Um, and also the Raiders do have a few nice little pieces, uh, on their roster. Uh, their offensive line has been really good this year. They had a, a really good running rookie running back. Uh, they just need to add another receiver, and Tom Brady will be set. The other team is a big dark horse that I don't think anyone's thought about, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, why not? Perfect situation for Tom Brady go to Florida and retire. I mean, he gets to play in Tampa with two elite wide receivers, uh, two pretty decent tight ends. Their offensive line isn't too bad, and they, they're they they're still on the fence on if they want to keep Jameis. So if they really want to move on from Jameis, they can go ahead and draft a quarterback, sign Tom Brady, and Tom Brady and watch Tom Brady's numbers fly with all that talent that uh, Tampa Bay has accumulated over the years. And their running game uh, will also get better as well, and Bruce Arians is really good. He's a QB whisperer, so I think he'll, he'll add an extra year to Tom Brady's uh, – career if he comes to Tampa. So I think those two are teams that not many people may be thinking about. I mean, the media is already starting to run with the whole Las Vegas Raider thought, 
But I think Tampa would probably make a big. Uh, it would be a. Uh, he would make a big impact on Tampa. Tom Brady is an upgrade for both of these teams, and, and I hear some of your logic. But I, I don't know if I can agree with either one of these for a couple of reasons. First, let's talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. In uh, the positive side of your argument is Gruden definitely wants to move on from Derek Carr. He feels Derek Carr is limited, although he can be a franchise quarterback. He'd like somebody a little bit more talented. I see Brady as somebody more talented, but he's older, and I don't know if he can push it downfield. And that way, the line is very good in Vegas, which would be a big plus for them. But those receivers, there's nothing going on there. To your point, could they add somebody through uh, free agency? They do have a nice running back in Josh Jacobs. They do have a great tight end in Darren Waller, who burst onto the scene this year with eight or nine touchdowns. He was incredible. But they don't have the receiving core, and I kind of feel like I'm going back to New England in that way where I kind of have to overcome. Tom can't overcome that anymore. He needs some weapons. He needs something like uh, Cleveland style with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. He really needs some people to help elevate him. The promotion of his brand would also be good. It's a fit city. It's close to L.A. where you get into the West Coast. Tom is trying to push TV 12 post football, and it would be a good fit city with a great marketplace, vibrant for that. And not that he just has to sell it there, but it would be a great place to meet people. Alex Guerrero, his trainer, would be very happy there, and they could work on their business that way. But I just see too much negative. I don't know how much of an upgrade he is from Derek Carr at this point due to his old man arm, let's call it. There is a little bit less vertical threat with him, and Gruden's looking for vertical threat, and it's kind of a rental. It, it would help boost season tickets, so there's some positive and negative, but overall, I don't feel like that's a fit. I don't think Tom Brady is an ultra-conservative guy, but uh, Las Vegas, to raise your children, I'm not so sure when you have all the options that he has. Then again, it's only a one-season rental, so it's possible. Tampa's the one I really don't like for a couple of reasons. I see the fit that you're going after, Arians, great quarterback coach, and then you have uh, a good team, a very solid team. If Jameis didn't just throw it to the other team every time, it, they, would, they would be very good. Jameis' second leading touchdown receiver is the other team. So that would help tremendously with their team. But Bruce Arians' offense is built on air raid, and Tom Brady is not – He's able to throw a deep ball, but he's not able to do it consistently. I don't think he's dealt with arm injuries, a little arm fatigue, because he's getting old. And Tampa's just a small market. I don't think his family wants to be there. I don't think Giselle would be happy going from Boston to Tampa. When you look at the weather, it sounds nice. However, you're looking at, I, I think she's more concerned with business opportunity and being around like-minded people. And that's just not going to go well <laughs> if you say happy wife, happy life. I don't think she's going to be very happy with that. And she's been sacrificing for many years. So it's come to a point where they kind of seemingly have to compromise. But there's no doubt that, that these have some merit and they should be on the radar. We all appreciate you adding that, Marv. Uh, do you see a situation where Brady stays and Belichick stays or would they have to be completely separated? I think at this point, that relationship has been... Uh pretty much destroyed to a point where there's no going back. Uh, there's been a power struggle over the last few seasons. And I think at this point, Bill Belichick won that power struggle. Uh, he His voice is bigger in, in the room. And it seems Tom Brady's voice has uh, gone away, basically, because whenever he wanted something, it's obvious that the owner would say no. When he wanted AB, they said no. 
I mean, they got him for him, and then they cut him, and he went a when he wanted AV back, he told him he pretty much shut him down, and I think that was the end, the beginning of the end, uh, for this season. Once uh, they shut him down with the AB thing, and they wouldn't get him any help, and then they cut Josh Gordon. I was like, well, if they're not going to get this man help, I don't think he's going to want to come back to a team that doesn't want to appreciate him and give him weapons to help him win. And so I think it's either or, either Belichick goes or he goes, and I don't think they can keep both after this after this season. Now, there is a theory out there. I asked that question because there is a theory out there from NFL executives, unnamed, but it's been well-sourced and reported, that uh, ego has broken this relationship and both parties want to prove uh, that they are the reason that they won the Super Bowl. Seems kind of juvenile, uh, machismo, kind of kind of petulant, but but it's out there and I do kind of subscribe to it. So I have a couple questions on that, Marv. Do you subscribe to that? Do you think there's any validity to it? And the second part of that question is if they do separate and if that is the reason, who do you think will be more successful over the next couple of years? I believe that is true. Being a man, uh, a very competitive man like Tom Brady and a competitive coach like Bill Belichick, you would expect that that from them, that they want to prove everyone wrong. Tom Brady's been proving people wrong his whole career. That's how he built his career, is by proving everyone wrong, that he is still here, that he's still doing it, and that he's going to continue playing until he feels like he uh, can't do it anymore. So Tom Brady, even if he moves on from the Patriots, is going to want to prove that he can win elsewhere because everyone has always said Tom Brady's a system quarterback, and I am guilty for that as well. That's calling him a system quarterback. And so he's going to want to go somewhere and win and show that he can win in any system that he is applied to. Now, to go back to the question, and um, I think Tom Brady has a better chance of being more successful because at the end of the day, when you remove Tom Brady from the equation, where, who's going to be the quarterback in New England? Now, if you're not going to replace him with a viable option, and you're going to play a young guy, you're going to have some growing pains. And early on, the return's not going to be quite pretty like having someone like Tom Brady playing quarterback for you. So I think the Patriots will probably struggle out the gates with with whomever they put there at quarterback, while Tom Brady will strategically choose the, his next team and possibly win early on, you know, in his uh, start on whichever team he goes to. So I think Tom Brady has a better chance of being more successful early on whenever he, you know, whenever he decides to move on from the New England Patriots. With Brady, at this point, you're playing with house money. He's already the GOAT. He already has six titles more than anyone else. And he can go off like Brett Favre or like Joe Montana, go to Kansas City or Vikings or and all the teams, the Jets that Brett Favre played for. Kind of forget about that if he doesn't do well. However, if he goes on without Belichick and wins a Super Bowl at 43 years old, that does a ton for his legacy. Even if you think that's not possible, it's his legacy is cemented, but he could elevate that to me significantly. And people would be saying, wow, that's incredible. As if we thought we'd already seen the most incredible things. And, and I have to agree with you. The ego thing is definitely a fracturing point for them. 
And it's just at a certain point, it's just boredom. You've won six Super Bowls. You've been together for 20 years. It's the reason some marriages end. You've just been together for too long and just find out after your kids leave, you don't have anything more in common and, and shake hands and go go your opposite ways. I, I certainly see it being a, an ego thing as well. I'm with you there. I want to shift to this. We watched on Sunday, the noon game. I didn't think Kirk Cousins had it in him, but sure enough, he did. And that was a huge story. It was a big win for the Vikings. But the story to me is the New Orleans Saints were, again, a no-show in the playoffs. It's been three years of, let's call it bad luck. That's fair. They've had a couple uh, unfortunate calls. But to me, I've seen a coach who has been more or less out-coached, a team that is not tough enough, a team that is not in the right place over the last several years. When you look back at the Minnesota Miracle, how you don't have your coaching staff or yourself telling, you need to stay behind this guy. There's only a couple seconds left. As long as we tackle him, they're not going to win the game. They need a touchdown. And if they don't get one, they lose. Tackle him in bounds, game over, missed it. I see a lack of toughness, a lack of uh, just just willingness, grittiness in the playoffs. And I get fooled by Sean Payton too often. I got fooled this year, I think, 13-3. and three. He's an excellent regular season coach. Uh, his his style is built kind of schematically on gimmicks and and trick plays and and gadgets. But when it comes to tough smash mouth football, where you have to stand up and overcome, his team does not seem to be ready for the big moments. He's four and six since the Super Bowl, and I want to take a a stroll down memory lane back to the Super Bowl. There's a phenomenon or a psychological uh, tendency called survivor bias. If you look at it in an everyday life standpoint, that would be similar to, well, Mark Zuckerberg and and entrepreneurs all over the country are, are dropping out and they're worth billions of dollars. It must be the right thing to drop out of college. College must not be more value must not be valuable any longer. Well, when you actually take out that little bit of bias because Mark Zuckerberg and others, many other billionaires have survived by not being uh, fully educated through their college years, it turns out that those who go to college make more money statistically. So we kind of remember what we think uh, and we kind of take out that luck factor, that right place, right time factor. And, and I have to go back to that Super Bowl. And I remember the Colts playing the Saints and the Saints were kicking off at the beginning of the third quarter. And it was 10 to 6. And Sean Payton decides to roll the dice on kicking a surprise onside kick. And it worked. But let's pretend like it wasn't right place, right time. Went off the foot wrong. The Colts recovered at the 40-yard line. And they're going to get a field goal out of it, at least you would have to think. And go up a full touchdown. Momentum, huge momentum swing on that. And the Saints might never have a Super Bowl. But it's remembered as this incredible play that is Super Bowl all time because survivor bias. He happened to get lucky enough that it worked. Crazy sometimes works just well enough that you end up a billionaire or you end up Super Bowl champion. But I have to go to the statistics. An onside kick being recovered as of 2018 was an 8% proposition. Whether it's surprise or not, it's all in the same category, considered an onside kick. 8% proposition in the Super Bowl when you're down four points when your winning probability probably very significantly decreases if you're not able to get that. The point is, it's not a good bet. And I, I think there's a little survivor bias with Sean Payton. 
Marv, am I being unfair? Why is it that Sean Payton has had so much success in the regular season, but I don't buy him as this elite coach in the playoffs? Uh, I don't think you're being tough on him, uh, but I, I, I do believe Sean Payton is tied to Drew Brees. Uh, since he's began his head coaching career in New Orleans, he's always had Drew Brees. So I think his success has always been tied to Drew Brees and how Drew Brees feels towards the end of the season. As we mentioned before in past podcasts, Drew Brees has that uh dead arm towards the end of the year, and you can see it as he plays that his arm just doesn't look the same towards the end of the year as it normally does early on in the season. And early on in the season, he tears it up, and then come playoff time, his throws just aren't getting there. The example is if you watch the game, uh, you watch the game versus the Vikings, there was a play where he was trying to throw the ball down the field and he got intercepted by number 41 on the Vikings. He threw it into double coverage one and two. I don't know what he was thinking. I guess he was trying to throw deep. The ball was short and it was intercepted. When number 41 ran it back to about 35 yard line and then the Vikings were set up for a score. And I believe that was like a big turning point in the game, which helped the Vikings not look back ever again in that game. But to go back to what you were saying, uh, Sean Payton seems to also have that kind of fatigue that Drew Brees has when the playoffs come around. It's like he's run out of like ideas because, as you mentioned, he's a gimmicky coach, so he relies a lot on these gimmicks. And then when he runs out of those ideas, he has no other way to, you know, to beat the team. He 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 tries to use Taysom Hill – like, you know, he beats the Taysom Hill horse like like crazy. Like, I mean, Taysom Hill gets a couple plays here and there. Of course, you catch the other team off. But after a while, it gets old. It's like when he, he, he loses his creativity, he's just – he isn't the same head coach. And it looks like he um he doesn't – he's not – he doesn't make the adjustments in the second half. And then the Saints look just flat. And then at the end of the day, if they lose by score, they they go ahead and they argue and blame it on the refs. When in reality, it's just coaching. And Sean Payton isn't an elite coach like we all thought he was. You made a great observation by saying every coach is tied to their quarterback. And, and that's really important, I think, in this situation to shed light on why this team is so gimmicky. And Sean Payton and uh, specifically Drew Brees, more specifically Drew Brees in this case, is very intelligent. I don't question Drew Brees' intelligence. I question his abilities, like you mentioned, his physical abilities. And these are not necessarily new physical limitations. They've been for a long time. He's never had the best deep ball. He's never been the strongest. He's never been the toughest. He's never been the biggest. So Sean Payton is designing an offense potentially around a very limited person. And it kind of reminds me, if you go back in a history lesson to the Revolutionary War, you have the big British army against the colonies of America, very undermatched, don't have the guns, they don't have the abilities, but they do have something that they learned from the Native Americans, which is guerrilla warfare. It's the element of surprise. We're hiding in the in the bushes while you're walking across thinking of your old-fashioned lineup, take a shot, walk back take a shot. Playoff football is the old-fashioned type of warfare. You line up face-to-face, and you charge each other, and you fight man-to-man. And when we go man-to-man, 
I, I don't think Sean Payton is as smart as Bill Belichick, and not a lot of people are smart as Bill Belichick, but it just doesn't translate to the postseason. And Drew Brees isn't as strong and as big as even Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger or, or Peyton Manning. He's not that elite prospect. So it could be out of necessity, and you see it fall off, because I'm sitting here trying to figure out uh, every regular season, it seems like, uh, I go into it thinking Sean Payton's not a very good coach because he blew the playoffs. And then you go into it and you think, oh, wow, I must have been wrong. And then you go to the playoffs and then you're like, wow, I was right. And then you repeat the cycle. And that kind of seems to be the thing for me since the Super Bowl 10 years ago because everybody loves Sean Payton. And I see this, these coaching errors in the, in the playoffs and uh, uh, I don't know about him now, but it just kind of seems to be very cyclical that way. It's been really troublesome for them going forward with his four and six record since that Super Bowl. Do you, going back to kind of wrap this up, Marv, do you see it as that lack of toughness coming out of the gimmicks or are those two separate ideas? I think it's two separate ideas. I, but I mean, I, I, I really don't know what it is about him. He just, as you mentioned, his team's not as physical as they used to. Ever since they got hit with the, with the, I believe it was the Bounty Gate, the Saints haven't been really the same. If you ever noticed that, like, during that time, the Saints' defense was, like, hitting. They were aggressive. Their defense, is, their defense was pretty decent this year, but they were still soft. And the problem was they got hit in the mouth. The Vikings came out there and hit them in the mouth. They were running the ball down their throats. They were just hitting them with play action. Their defense was forcing turnovers. Saints had only eight turnovers all year. That was a franchise record. And then the Vikings forced, I believe, three turnovers. They sacked them about five or six times. Like, they were getting the Drew Brees. They were hitting Drew Brees in the mouth. And the Saints had no answer to slowing that down. And I think that's what really affected the Saints in this game was Sean Payton didn't uh, – He, I don't think he was expecting – the Vikings to come out with such fury and such uh, aggression, the 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 they, the Saints just came out soft. Like I I don't know if they were overconfident, but they came out there big fa uh, favorites. Everyone was saying the Saints were going to blow up the Vikings. The Vikings came in there and punched them in the mouth, and that was it. So I think they lack that um toughness, and I think that's what Sean Payton expresses the way Sean Payton coaches. And I think and he's not very, he doesn't have, uh, how I say, uh, so he's not very tough on his players. So I think that's what was showing up there in the game was his, his players weren't tough enough. That's an interesting observation on the toughness. The way I've seen it this season, I think is actually very similar. And their, their defense to me has been inconsistent because there's been times, points and times in the season where we're looking at the Saints as this, Tough top elite defense. And then all of a sudden they face the 49ers at home and they give up 48 points. And you're scratching your head like, what? I thought this was a good defense. Maybe they're not a good defense. And I think this, the consistency is the issue. And I, and I, one of the things I might not like about Sean Payton on the sidelines is the emotion and, and, and the inherent inconsistency of it. He gets very hyperventilative. Uh, he gets very excitable. He yells and screams. He looks like a gym teacher sometimes. He looks like a meathead high school football coach. And I've never liked that optic. I like the Belichick. 
always looking the same, maybe a little scowl, a little grumpy every once in a while, but he's very even keel. You look throughout the league, you see some coaches, Mike Tomlin, mostly even keel, really like him. Uh, Sean McDermott, up and coming coach in Buffalo. He's very even keeled. I look at these successful guys, very relaxed, very even keeled. And that is a mark of a leader, whether you're up or you're down, I should say mark of a good leader, whether you're up or you're down, you're feeling like you need to instill belief in your team. And when you're screaming and yelling at the refs and your face is turning red, what am I going to think as a team? Am I going to get emotional? Am I going to think that I'm going to cheat this way or cheat that way? And the other point to that, too, is maybe not just that. It could also be, and and I do believe it is, that they're living off the offensive energy where they think, oh, we want to make big plays now, too. And they're living on that up-and-down emotional roller coaster that comes with their style of play and the style of coaching. So to me, that doesn't work as well in the playoffs, and I think we saw that highlighted again this year. Sean Payton, you could do a lot worse than him, but I don't, I'm not so sure he's in that elite coaching class. I have to question it as I have for a long time. I want to shift to this. Mike McCarthy was recently hired as the Cowboys coach. He was the first coach taken off the market. And uh, yes, he's, he's 125, 77 and two. He has a great record. He is a Super Bowl champion. There are only eight active coaches who are Super Bowl champions. And yes, he had a whole season off. A lot of times you see coaches take some time off. They come back re-energized, rejuvenated. They they have a new perspective. That could be any business, any person in life who's fortunate enough to take some time off. They get to reevaluate, refocus, take themselves out of the fray. I think there's a lot of value to that. And then they jump back in with a fresh mind, re-energized. But to me, this is just business as usual for the Dallas Cowboys. And maybe your mom said, as my mom did, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. This is not what they did, it's how they did it. The Dallas Cowboys haven't been to the Super Bowl, haven't won a Super Bowl since 1996. So they haven't been to a Super Bowl since 1996. They've won and been to zero NFC Championship games. They've only won three playoff games in 12 tries. For those of you who are not good at math like me, that's only 33% of the time are they winning playoff games. And you have four division titles since 1996. That's half your division rival, the Eagles. And you have all the facilities, all the amenities, the nationwide brand. Everybody wants to work for the Cowboys. Why is this happening? Well, we've talked about this on previous podcasts. Dallas is more of a big brand that doesn't really exist anymore. There needs to be a change of the guard, a change of the way things are done. Jerry Jones needs to get out of the way. That's why I said call up Nick Saban. You need somebody to come in and institute organizational excellence. You need them to run it from top to bottom and have the players and everyone within the coaching staff answer to that individual, not the owner, Jerry Jones, because it sabotages the organizational structure. If you don't like what the coach has to say, go talk to Jerry, go talk to Steven. It feels like it's this big family. And if you don't like it, you don't like what mom says, go talk to dad. And when I say it's not what they did, it's how they did it. If they were to hire Mike McCarthy after an extensive search and interviewing a bunch of different people, I'd feel a lot better about it because let's face it, there weren't a ton of really hot commodities 
or experienced great people. We were talking about a lot of long shots to bring them out of their current jobs. Nick Saban didn't have success in the NFL, but I like the institutional excellence, the ability to organize and, and manage and, and bring somebody a figure of respect, somebody who would demand as much or more respect than Jerry Jones and somebody who would bark back at Jerry when he talks. So if you brought in uh, innovative people and strong leaders like Matt Rule at Baylor or Lincoln Riley, two innovative offensive guys, or you brought in Urban Meyer, that really strong voice and that strong leader, or Nick Saban, you brought in one of those guys or you just interviewed them. And, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out. I'd be like, okay, I see the 125-77 record. I see a Super Bowl ring. I see a guy who's re-energized. I see a guy who can work with quarterbacks. I, I dig it. I, I can kind of buy it. But to me, this is not what they did. It's how they did it. And I have to question whether Jerry Jones even wants to win anymore, or if he just wants to live off the Dallas Cowboys brand and the five Super Bowl rings and talk about the old days. He is 77 years old. Maybe that's just enough for him. I don't think that's the case, but I have to at least ask the question. With all that being said, I want to use this as a transitioning point to our quick hitter special edition, the coaching edition on all the new hires. I want to use this as an opportunity to bring you in here, Marv. What is your take on Mike McCarthy to the Cowboys? Am I being too critical of the Cowboys here? No, you're not being critical at all. I think you hit it right on the head. Um, I was a little bit on the fence about this hiring, but uh, it took me a while to think about it and actually liked the, the hiring a little bit. I think Mike McCarthy might be the man for the job. Uh, he has an extensive background in being a good quarterback coach, and I think he's the right man to help Dak Prescott take that next step to the next level and becoming an elite quarterback and helping the Dallas Cowboys win some more games. Um, I think that's what the Cowboys lacked was a true leader. Mike McCarthy has shown to have true leadership qualities in the past. Uh, he helped develop Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he coached Brett Favre. So I think he, he can do some wonders for Dak Prescott. So we'll see. The jury's still out. Of course, we know uh, Jerry runs that team. That's Jerry's team. Jerry chose McCarthy because there's something that maybe he knows he can control McCarthy. So we're going to see how this all plays out. I'm hoping uh, it turns out for the better for Dak Prescott and everyone involved. And we'll see how McCarthy uh, helps the Dallas Cowboys uh, win some games. Now, the development of Dak Prescott is a great point. And you and I were not at that meeting with Jerry Jones, with Mike McCarthy. Perhaps he wowed him very much. And to be clear, I'm not saying that this is a disaster by any means, and perhaps it works out great. My concern is strictly on the fact that this is business as usual. And I'm not sure Mike McCarthy has the personality or the respect or the gravitas to stand up to Jerry Jones and say, no, Jerry, this is not how it's going to be. I'm your football coach. You hired me to be the football coach. So we're putting X with Y or Z with X. I, I'm not sure he has the gravitas in a locker room to do that. Now, I've never been in a locker room with Mike McCarthy. He just doesn't strike me as that kind of guy on the sidelines. Very stoic, seemingly quiet, very uh, old, feel, feels a little old and, and, and kind of outdated to me. But sometimes old and outdated are some of the best things, some of our favorite things. So 
I, I think this could work out very well, but business as usual for me is the problem. And it seems like business as usual, 24 years of that type of business has led to no Super Bowls, no championship appearances, and, and, and three playoff wins. That's not a good look for the Cowboys. I just would have liked to have seen a more extensive coaching search. Next topic in our quick hitters coaching edition, Ron Rivera is the new coach of the Washington Redskins. Do you like it, Marv? I like it a lot. Um, the Redskins needed a coach that came in and put his foot down. And Ron Rivera is that guy to do that. Uh, I think he's going to, he's a no nonsense type coach. He's very old school. Uh, the Redskins didn't have any kind of leadership in the last couple of years. They've just been run like a circus. And I think he's going to come in and he's going to bring a more old fashioned approach. He's going to get these guys in line and we may not see it right away the first year, but I think about a year or two into it, uh, the Redskins may start actually, uh, showing progress on the field. So I really like the signing and, and, and I think it's really good. And hopefully, uh, Ron Rivera can get some good assistance that I heard he was, uh, getting um, Jack Del Rio to sign up, which is a really heck of a signing if he gets Jack Del Rio to coach that defense because they got a really nice defense that they're building there in Washington. So I really like what's going on there. To keep this in context, this is the very best coach that any Washington Redskins team could get ever. So on that account, I like it. My one concern about this hiring is – that Ron Rivera is a little too no-nonsense, a little too militaristic, where he, first day, he comes in and takes away the ping-pong tables and the, and the pool tables. And I don't think that's the point. I think if you practice excellent, you also can be rewarded after practice, after doing that excellent. So he comes in and tries to make the statement. My concern is that his message got tired in Carolina to an extent, and I'm wondering if his style is getting a little tired. But for the Washington Redskins, great hire. I'm surprised he even took this job because the Redskins are a tire fire. <laughs> On to the next, Joe Judge. The For those of you that don't know Joe Judge, like me before today, he was the wide receiver coach and the special teams coach for the New England Patriots. Do you like this hire or not, Marv? Honest to truth, uh, I don't even know who Joe Judge is. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I said. Not, I don't know who he was before today. I read my, I received the notification on my phone like everyone else, and I was like, who? What? Where? And how? This guy was nowhere on the radars of anybody. I guess the Giants did their homework, which I congratulate them. They chose the guy they thought was right for their, um, for their coaching search. Uh, they did it the right way. I guess they interviewed a lot of coaches, and they felt Judge was the best man for the job. Uh, based on what I know, he comes from the New England coaching tree. He also coached with Nick Saban. So he has a really good um, coaching tree. He's came from two really good coaching trees. So hopefully that can uh, turn out for the better. As we all know, you know, Belichick's coaching tree has had it's been a mixed bag. So I don't know. We'll see how it turns out. I don't know too much about him, but uh, based on the information I was given and things I've read, I mean, he looks like he's a bright fella. Yeah, on the surface, I get the notification, same as you. I'm like, who is Joe Judge? And I can only deal in the information that I have. 
And and what I do know is on the surface, it feels like you're the New York Giants. You're a storied franchise. You're stable. You have a history of excellence. And also, equally importantly, you have a franchise quarterback who showed flashes this season that he's going to be able to carry a team. He's on a rookie deal for three years. So this should be a very attractive uh, franchise. But Matt Rule, who we'll get into in a second, passed them over. And they seem to have kind of panicked a little bit. I don't know what that's all about. But my concern is, and why I, I don't like the hire, and like I said, I'm just dealing in the facts that I have. I look at Bill Belichick's coaching tree. Romeo Cornell, Charlie Weiss, Eric Mangini, Josh McDaniels, all fired. Matt Patricia, Matt Patricia excuse me, is on the verge of being fired with the Lions. He's got about one more season left to rope. And Bill O'Brien can't manage a daycare, much less manage a game clock. His <laughs> lo- he had a losing record as well as all those other guys until his savior, the Michael Jordan of football, Deshaun Watson, showed up, and now he's over 500 just barely after this season. I don't agree with you, Marv, that it's been a mixed bag. It's been mostly a disaster for Belichick coaches. I, I will give you this. <laughs> Brian Flores, I like him a lot. So there is one, so there could be more, and this is from the same coaching staff. So we'll take a look at it and we'll see. But with the information I have now, I feel like it was kind of a reach. Sometimes reaches work out really well. It's worked out really well with Daniel Jones for the Giants. So do it too many times, though, and you're going to get burned. Uh, next one, this is a big one. Matt Rule, the former Baylor coach uh, this season, went 11-3 and with Baylor. He signed a seven-year deal. This is the new standard we talked about on old episodes, five years for Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in the 49ers was a lot. Seven years, $60 million deal worth up to $70 million with incentives. Marv, how do you feel about this hire for the Panthers, Matt Rule? Matt Rule, I'll be honest, I didn't watch a lot of Baylor's games nor Temple games. From Based on the information I, I know on Matt Rule is he's a turnaround specialist. Uh, looks like he goes into programs that had a really bad like season before. <laughs> And he turns it around and makes them go from, let's say, one win seasons to 11 win seasons. So he's known for doing that. Uh, he went to Baylor uh, when they were basically on the ground because after they got hit with all those sanctions and a bunch of craziness that went on with the whole Baylor program, Matt Rule came in there and he turned that friend, that um, that school around and turned them back into a winner. So he's known for this. Uh, turning around franchises, and the uh, Panthers need a jolt. They uh, have hit rock bottom since they went to the Super Bowl. Since their Super Bowl year, they went 15-1. After that, they've missed the playoffs pretty much every year after. And so the Panthers are looking for a jolt, someone to turn them, turn them around, turn the page over to the future. And I think he's the right guy to go ahead and help them uh, move on. And And he's also very innovative. And so I think he with um with Christian McCaffrey and whoever they choose to be the quarterback there, uh, the future looks bright in Carolina. I'm gonna quote Taylor Swift on this one, the great Taylor Swift. It's gonna be forever or it's gonna go down in flames. To me, I really like the hire, but I think it's gonna be a grand slam or it's gonna be a strikeout. There's no in between here. Um, much like I feel about David Tepper, I feel the same way about the owner, David Tepper. Very uh, smart, progressive guy. He's been very successful in the finance world, but sometimes that doesn't always translate to the to other businesses. If you're great in broadcasting, you're not necessarily a great financial advisor just because you can communicate well. You don't know the financial discipline. 
and, and that goes for a lot of different things being being said. If you're a great salesman, you might be a great lawyer on the surface, but you don't know all the law books just because you can communicate. And and I look at Matt Rule. It's a lot of money. I like the commitment. I like the aggressiveness and the tenacity that Tepper and the Panthers showed in hiring him. He is that turnaround specialist. It's important to note that Baylor was one and eleven in a total disaster. They went from one and eleven to eleven and three in two seasons, including their that was including their bowl game, their regular season, including their championship game. They're eleven and two. They're the only program in history to turn around like that uh, from eleven losses to eleven wins. The other interesting tidbit about Matt Rule is that he's a former linebacker at Penn State, but he's now known for his offensive prowess. He loves the RPO. He loves to be innovative in that area. He calls the offensive plays, or he did for Baylor. It's a very progressive hire that I I, I applaud. It's swinging big. I said with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, swing big. And if you lose, fine, but you don't want to just be stuck in mediocrity forever. So I really like it, but it could end up very badly because one of the things I'll say about that is when you're turning around programs, you're turning around Temple, you're turning around Baylor, part of it is recruiting. You have control over who you recruit and and you're not drawing from the same pool as everyone else. You have certain advantages and disadvantages. Uh, so that that that's something that you can't control in the NFL. You can only draft who you can draft and, and it's not the same. You don't have unlimited resources in that area. But that same organizational structure that you mentioned, Marv, that same attitude, it all applies. So a lot of the, and that being said, a lot of the uh, concepts from the NFL or from college are coming to the NFL. So I like the hire. It's very good. It's just, it's very difficult to unpack. There's a lot going on there. And the last one of our coaching segment for our quick hitters, who is going to Cleveland, Marv? That's a very good question. Um the only real candidate out there left without a, a chair or at least left without a job is Josh McDaniels. Uh, he is the favorite right now to, to go ahead and sign with the Cleveland Browns as their next football head coach. Um, the next person in line, I believe, was, let me see, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Robert Salah, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, but obviously he's uh, pl- planning for a game right now. And I'm sure the Cleveland Browns want to get a head coach in the uh, office shortly. So I think Josh McDaniels will be the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I have to go with the favorite here because I don't have any information to say otherwise. Josh McDaniels is the in-house favorite here. He is somebody who can turn this around. He is somebody who can tell the uh, Haslam family to you know what the off, if you know what I mean. Furthermore, he'll be able to, there's a list of general managers. It's been reported. There's a list of general managers and the coach is going to be able to choose the general manager and not the other way around. So it's looking like you're going to get final say with the roster. That should be something very appealing. Now that's who I think will probably be the head coach, but I'm going to go back to my argument from uh, a week ago or two weeks ago, can't remember, it was very recently, this is a better job. The Cleveland Browns job is a better job than the Dallas Cowboys. You're able to pick pick your general manager. You have a bunch of talent. You're able to create opportunity in the face of adversity. And the fact that you could turn around Cleveland and become kind of a, a, a little deity. So Urban Meyer with Cleveland ties, Ohio ties, I know he's still in consideration. The Browns would like him. I, I'm not sure he'll end up there, but it's a great opportunity, I think, for the right person, and Urban would be that person 
I think, who could turn around such a disastrous organization with his leadership and with his commitment to organizational excellence and discipline. That's something that should be considered and would be very interesting to see. And finally, we are going to get into the segment that you all have been waiting for, Money Making Marv's Picks. We're doing things a little bit different this week. You know there's only four games. Marv can't get them all right like he almost did this season, going 9 for 12. I tried to pick up the slack last week, went 1-1. One and one. So if you bet with me, you didn't lose any money, but you didn't make any anyways. So Marv, can you get us back on the Money Making Ways and give us a couple picks for the weekend? Yes, sir. So... I'm going to go ahead and pick the games for Sunday. I really like um, the Chiefs at home versus the Houston Texans. The Texans barely covered last week uh, versus the Bills, who were blowing them out by 16 points at home. So imagine what the Chiefs are going to do to them in Kansas City in the blistering cold. Uh, the Texans are a dome team or indoor team. They're going to go to freezing uh, Kansas City. I think the Chiefs will cover the 10-point spread. And win by two scores. Yeah, I'd like to get this one at nine and a half. Nine and a half has been out there. If you can get a two-score victory in this game, playoff games are always going to be tough, and it's hard to bet against Deshaun Watson. I normally go with the big underdogs in this situation, but Kansas City's just too good, and Andy Reid is just too good off a of bye to go, to go against them. And uh, just the Texans, Bill O'Brien, I don't want any part of it. I'll take Kansas City. You'll get agreement from me. Marv, give us your second and final pick here. Yes, sir. So my second and final pick, it was a tough one. I was going back and forth with it. But for some reason, I like the dog in this game. And it's going to be the Seattle Seahawks are getting four points at Green Bay, they seem to always have Green Bay's number. They seem to always play Green Bay really tough and always trust in Russell Wilson. I mean, the guy is, he's just wonderful. He's great on the field. He's like a magician. He's Houdini out there. He makes it happen with a bunch of nobodies. He's, I mean, it sounds like someone we all know. It sounds like Aaron Rodgers. But I mean, for some reason, I just feel like this is uh, Seattle's moment. I think Seattle can cover the four points, possibly even win in Lambeau. So I like Seattle plus four. This is one where I'm with you. I've gone back and forth, back and forth. First of all, I was really unimpressed with Seattle at Philadelphia. I kind of felt that one coming before the game, even though I picked Seattle. And it was far too close with a backup quarterback in the game. Seattle just doesn't do a lot well, except that they have Russell Wilson. And I'm going to give you agreement on this one. I'm going to take the points only because I feel like I have a better coach and a better quarterback at this point. I know Green Bay gets the almighty home field, which they're so good at Lambeau, but the Seahawks are 8-1 and one on the road. You don't have to win here. You just have to keep it close and keep it under that field goal range and you win the bet. I'm going to ride with the Seahawks. A little hesitant, double agreement from me. Marv, I got something special for the people to close out the segment here. You've inspired me to try and strive to victory like you do all the time in your picks. But I'm not as good at picking on the straight lines as you are. It's a little bit difficult. There's something I like for those of our listeners who maybe don't know. If you're a big-time gambler, you do know. I like to bet teasers. And what a teaser is is you get to adjust the line to how you like it. You get to tease some points. So like a seven-point teaser with Seattle plus four, you get to add seven points in your favor. So it goes to plus 11. You kind of get the idea at that point. 
I have a three-team teaser going on. If you bet 50, you're going to win 75 to give you an idea of how it pays out as well. My teaser is a little pro and a little college. I'm going to take Seattle plus 11. That's an easy one. You get a huge point spread that you you should be able to easily cover there. Seattle, we agree that this is going to be a close game. And then I'm going to, you're also able to add to the over-unders. And I really like the under on San Francisco and Minnesota this week. Two very good defense, two of the top five defenses in the NFL. I'm going under 51 and a half. The original under is 44 and a half. 51 and a half is a very nice number. I do not see that game going 28 to 24. So as long as each team sticks around three touchdowns apiece, you're going to be just fine. And you, they can even score a little bit more than that. So that's an easy one. And then I have Clemson plus 12 and a half. I mean, come on. Trevor Lawrence, 24 and 0 starting quarterback. Dabo Sweeney, excellent coach. Clemson, unbelievable program. They're down a little bit this year. I do believe LSU will probably win this game, but you should never count Clemson out. And you get 12 and a half points. Give it to me. You should put a significant amount on this game, but I cannot be held liable for that. Okay, people? <laughs> um, so to wrap that up, teaser is Seattle plus 11. Under on San Francisco, Minnesota, 51 and a half. Clemson plus 12 and a half. Marv, is that living up to the standard that you set? Yes, sir. That sounds like a really good winner right there. I like, I like what you're doing there. It's Marv approved. So go ahead and bet it, everyone. That is the end of our show. Thank you all so much if you've listened this far. We really appreciate your support. We hope to bring more and more news to you as the weeks go on. The NFL season is wrapping up, but as always, there is 24-7, 365 news on the NFL. We'll also be incorporating some NBA and other various news as we go along and develop throughout the year. Also want to mention, don't forget to visit audibletrial.com forward slash wrap up to start today with your audible trial and marv do you have anything for the people thank you for all the support you guys give us um and we're going to continue to give you great content in 2020 happy new year people yes happy new year happier and better content on the way we'll talk to y'all later have a great week later guys